Hi, I'm Mitch Stocker, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Life in the Peloton. Hope you enjoyed the last episode with Daryl Impey, and if you haven't listened to it yet, go back and check it out. Um, but today, we're chatting with a Life in the Peloton favorite, Luke Durbridge, reviewing the first weekend of racing up in Belgium. And then, we're going to talk about the next block of racing leading into the Spring Classics. We're also going to answer some questions sent in by you guys about the racing and behind the scenes of our time up in Belgium. So a lot to get through. Sit back, chuck the earphones in, and enjoy. Durbo, welcome to another episode with our favourite Luke Durbridge. Once a year we catch up and we review or we just chat or I don't know what we do, but in this instance we're reviewing the opening weekend, we're getting ready for the classics coming up and we're both going to stage races so we're going to have a quick chat about that and then we're going to have a talk about the classics coming and do a little review, preview of the classics coming and answer a few questions people sent in and just generally have a chin wag while we're drinking a Quaramont beer. Yeah, mate. It's uh, always good to be on the podcast. Uh, you've uh, had some good uh, good interviews lately, so I've enjoyed listening to them. So good to have uh, a beer with you and a bit of a chin wag about uh, the best time of year, the classics. We're sitting here at your house in Girona, um, a long way away from Belgium, but Belgium is very very clear in our mind as we just came away from the first weekend of racing and I guess what I want to ask you is everyone talks about it as the opening weekend what is the opening weekend in Belgium? Um, opening weekend is sort of uh, what would you say first round football or it's the it's the first you know game of the season and um, it's where Everyone's done all their performances of training and they've done all their training camps and they come in together and they just see where they're at. And opening weekend's uh, two races. Mm-hmm. First race is on Saturday, Umlum at Newsbar. Yeah. And then second race is Kern and Brussels Kern. And they're pretty gnarly races. And I feel that there's a lot of anxiety around opening weekend from riders from coaches for how the athlete's going to go for how even the team with equipment new equipment new Mm. tires it's all the sort of first time to get up there and really test it out being back on the cobbles like it's the first chance to get on the cobbles and it builds up over the whole winter Mm -hmm. and especially for me and you once we finish Roubaix we sort of say yeah we're done for the classics again but then about you know, a couple of months later, all of a sudden you start thinking about the classics again and that's that build up to the opening weekend. And that's the same for everyone who's there. And that tension, I'd almost say it's the most tense racing (laughs) any time of the year. I would agree. Yeah. That neutral zone in Umlum is like you had a joke to me. He said, I'll speak to you in the neutral. Yeah. And uh, I come up to you and said, Hey Mitch, have a good day today. And you're like, I didn't even remember that. That was it. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And the weather's pretty pretty gnarly because it's a bit earlier and 
everything is sort of heightened for the classics. It's a, it's a pretty good test, you know. So, and it's also one of those things I think you can overanalyze. Mm. And I've found I've seen a few big classic riders that don't actually come anymore. You know, Sargans hasn't been there for a few years. Um, there's a few other guys that they just miss it because because of that reason. I think you know it's like. There's a lot can go wrong there because a lot of riders are, you know, over nervous, over stressed. There's generally pretty terrible weather, and generally there's some big crashes there because of the the overall tension. So if you're a big leader, someone like Sagan who might win Flanders later, maybe it's best to miss it. So I forgot he wasn't yeah. there. Yeah. Well, let's go back. Heyman, mm. 2016, true crash in Het Newsblad. Yep, and that's the infamous story. Go back and have a listen to the podcast. That was recorded night before Roubaix and Roubaix. And that goes through Heyman's story leading up to his Roubaix win, where he didn't race a race since opening weekend because he crashed out, broke his elbow, his wrist. Oh, really, his wrist. But yeah. I, like I said, that works for a guy like Heyman yeah. and uh, someone like Sargon who has, has done their, their blooding up there. You mm. know, they, they know the course, they know the roads, and it's uh, for them to miss one or two is not a big deal. But mm. I think as a... A young guy, but you can see how disastrous it could have been for him. And all it's obviously a yeah a golden story now, but I don't think he was thinking that at the time. Not at all. Was he? No, not at all. He was pretty happy that night. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, moving on. Um, What does it mean for you then? Uh, Before, before. So not reviewing it. What does it mean for you before you went up on the weekend? Yeah, I think well, like I said, it's a for me, it's a good test. Mm. Um, you just use it as opening weekend. Uh, you go up there, sort of pressure free in terms of uh, results wise. You want to go as good as you can, but you really want to get up there, get back on the cobbles. Out, I'm in a team that's fortunate enough that they don't put a hell of a lot of pressure on you guys on that opening weekend because uh, they want you guys to get up there, work as a team, gel as a unit. And, um, yeah, for me, I, I will always, I think, go to opening weekend because it's a nice way to just to rip the mm. band off. You know, you've done all these sun races in Tour Down Under. You've done a training camp in Spain. You really have not really put yourself under any, you know, stress mm. technically other than just riding your bike. And then you get up there and it's just like, wow, Welcome. this is another level of stress. And <laughs> even going up and training there and reconning, you sort of get a – like as we all go up there – we all go up there on the Wednesday and we recon on the Thursday, just go get our minds over the course and get a feeling for testing and stuff like that. But yeah, it's not, it's not the same. No, it's not the same. Me on the start line, you're choosing the clothes. What do I wear? Do I wear leg warmers? (laughs) You know, is it undershirt weather to wear heat cream? You know? Yeah. We asked ourselves the question the other day and the bus was, uh, will it be time to retire the, the day you're confident in your clothes choice? (laughs) Because you, you come on the bus, you see some Neopro is wearing a, another undershirt and you're like, oh, maybe I should wear that undershirt. And then someone else is wearing something else and someone else is putting heat cream on the legs and someone else is not. And it's just this huge, just like, I'm not sure what I'm, what did, what what I'm you, in for. What did you wear? Uh, what I wear? Pretty light undershirt, um, jersey, arm warmers. I went pretty light this year. You had leg warmers on, I saw. Knees, yeah. but I got them off after 20 minutes, which was a bad idea. It got when real the break had already cold. gone, <laughs> yeah, yeah, got real cold after that. It did actually. You you dressed pretty light. You had a. I no leg warmers on, but I had thick shorts on. Oh, the, oh thermal. And shorts. I always wear the heat cream. 
Yeah, okay. Heat cream. You reckon that makes it. a difference? Sometimes that makes me feel colder. You know, when I'm the using moisture this hits. good one yeah? from, I can't remember what brand it is, but it's in the bus. Yeah. It's been working really well. Um, and then undershirt, two jerseys. Like a thicker one? Yeah. Yeah. And that's it, arm warmers. It's not yeah. too bad. Yeah. Um, how were you going then? Yeah, um, for me, I felt there were some good good signs up there. I haven't raced since uh, Australia, Kiel's race. So I've been in an attitude. And, uh, Did you can- find it hard stepping into that type of racing? Because it can be a bit of a gamble. Well, to explain to everyone the difference between that racing and, say, like a race like Cadell's or... Cadell's is probably more closer to it, but a race like Tour Down Under or even another stage race... The intricacies of it is in Belgium, it's small roads and you're literally fighting for every meter the whole race. And that takes a lot of on-off pedaling. So one second you're just sprinting and then next second you're freewheeling. And it's like that the whole day. And if you haven't been racing a lot, you've just been training at the same average watts for the day, say. Just say you average, I don't know, 300 watts for the day. You can do that in training, but it's a constant 300 watts. Whereas in Belgium, you're doing 500 watts, then no watts, then 600. So getting used to that, I find is really difficult after just being training for a month. Mm-hmm. You go up to Belgium, you're like, I can't actually, I'm missing that speed. Yeah, did you I, find you missed that? I did a little bit, yeah. Like yeah. I think you always overgear when you come down from altitude or like you said, from training. You always ride such a big gear because you're you're trying to get the effort out but mm. you know you're not really fluent like you said on the pedals you want to be quite zippy so yeah. for example like you want to sort of sprint onto the wheel recover sprint onto the wheel recover but uh in training you've just like you said been going at such a constant speed all the time so yeah in umlumpa it took me probably yeah it felt like probably about 150k to get into the race mm. <laughs> i was riding pretty bad position um and then yeah, when it came to the Berendries, I sort of moved up there and was in the final and tried to help Trent in get bring it back for a sprint. Um, so yeah, I was I was happy with some some signs coming straight from altitude, um, but I think using this weekend will be a lot better for the next races coming up. Who was who was a surprise for you that was going well? Uh, well, I, I was. I mean, Bob Jungles is a is a is a huge talent. Um, and he Was that the first time he's ever been up there? I think he hasn't done too many up there. I don't know if I wouldn't say it's the first time, but I don't think he's done too many up there. I was talking to him during the race. He was saying, yes, he's trying to learn these races. So he took a Saturday to learn to Sunday <laughs> to win. <laughs> so it wasn't a surprise uh, because obviously such a talent's one Liège Baston. You know, there's no question he's a freak bike rider, but you know, to go from one day to learn the roads and then mm. the next day to win Kerner, that was a, that was and the, way, and the way and the way he won Kerner too, he rode away on the flat. Yeah, we were chasing pretty and strong it wasn't. Road. It was pretty yeah. difficult. <laughs> we weren't bringing him back. So, um, I wouldn't say I was surprised by that, but I'm, yeah, I'm surprised that he hasn't done a lot of racing up there to see how well he was going. What about yeah. yourself? What did you see up there? Um, Yves Lampard, who's a Belgium rider, rides for Quickstep also, and Quicksteppers in general were very good. Um, mm. Not surprised by that, but again. You know, Lampard, he's two times in the top 10 and he's looking good for the classics coming up. Belgium um, national champ as well, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who do you think wasn't going so good that you thought might be going good? Well, I always know that uh, 
like Sturvin's won Kerner before, mm-hmm. um, and I didn't see Sturvin up there, but I think you know that might be. Uh, sometimes it can be a bit of a on purpose thing. You know, mm-hmm. they're building in for the next races. Sometimes I know that uh, Stannard used to take opening weekend off sometimes because he's always going so good there um, to go better in the later races. So maybe that's the case, but I didn't really see. Sturvin up there, which I would expect it. I thought um, Rory Sutherland didn't have a very good opening weekend. He was trying his luck up there this year. Um, two DNFs from on his behalf. <laughs> I, I think Rory came up to me and said, if one more person asks me what the hell I'm doing up there, I'll punch him. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he, uh, he was up there filling a hole and he got the experience. He told me he hasn't been... Hasn't been up there for... I think it was almost 10 years, so... Really? Yeah. Since... Rabo, or? Yeah, since he was back in Rabobank, so wow. <laughs> it's good to see him out there. And just to give you an idea of how hard the races were, 110 finishes in Head News Blab, 69 finishes in Kern, so they're not that easy of races. And just getting around being one of those guys who finish, you're almost a mini success there, isn't it? Yep, 100%. Moving on, our next period is the last prep for the Classics. And... I always see this as, you know, you, you either choose the Torino Adriatico as the stage race or the Paris-Nice as your stage race. Both a week long, both almost run over the top of each other, really tough races. And that's your final preparation as us classics rise to get that last bit of form. And for me, I used to see some guys go in there like a Tom Boone and sort of at 80% and he'd be able to get himself up to 100% by the end of that race. And I quickly learned that I'm not one of those guys. I need to go in there at 98% <laughs> You're so and hard. F- find the last 2% because yeah. otherwise I wasn't getting through the race. But still, nevertheless, nevertheless it's, a, it's a really important factor leading into the classics. Um, what are you doing and do you see it as that as well? Yeah, I agree. Um, you have to, I feel personally, you have to do one or the other. Um, I've never done Paris Nice. So, oh. always been on the Italian program. I think because... Uh, there's always got a team's time trial in Torino, so sort of that's where uh, I tend to go. Um, but yeah, they're, they're the prep races. They generally have like one or two really long days, uh, one or two classic style days on circuits or punchy climbs, mm. and uh, you really just get that load that you need to uh, to do the to do the classics. I feel and uh, yeah. Now after the opening weekend, what's your thoughts going into that race? Is it still the same or are you thinking, I really need to go deep into the finals or I just need to get Ks in or what's your thoughts? Well, I feel that if you you need to race as many finals as you can to race the finals in the classics, I think uh, what I mean by that is that uh, I found if certain years in the classics, if you crash out of one classic and then you might only do 120K of the other classic, you are just behind because you're not just doing, you're not doing enough Hmm. overall work as say someone who's racing in the in the final so it's more like in Torino pick two or three days that you really just go all in hmm. um, we'll have a team objective there hmm. um, obviously using it as a bit of preparation for the classics but we have Adam Yates who's trying to ride overall GC so we really will just go as deep as we need to go for to win for, the race, to win the race. Yep. and uh, I think that's a good target go in there try and do as best you can for the team and that'll give you that extra load you need. For What's the, your individual role, do you think? 
pretty much guide Adam around yeah. and uh, the two TTs, the triple T and the individual How T. How long is the individual T? Individuals 10 at the final day. Um, Flat 10K. Yeah. And this year, Torino doesn't really have a super solid mountain stage. Um, mm. They're more circuit punchy climbs, so which is kind of leading towards being quite good prep for what we're going into for the classics. Beautiful. All right, and finally, before we get into some of these questions, your classics review. What are the Cobblestone Classics looking like for Luke Durbridge 2019? You've had some success leading up here the last few years, and I feel like just making the perfect steps every year. And I guess that leaves this year with the next step. What is the next step going to be 2019? What are you thinking? What are you thinking that you can do? What are you hoping you can do? Yeah. Yeah, I, like I said, I've made some good progressions. But uh, this year, I've said to myself that I really want to be on the podium in one. Um, and one, one memorial? No, I would, say, I would say at the moment I want to be on the podium in a classic. And when I mean by classic... I sort of class them as we've got seven opportunities. What What's your program then? So I do uh, Dupana. Which is now a one-day race on yeah, the Wednesday. Race on Wednesday, yep, I do Dupana. We've got, we got Milan-San Remo on yep. the Saturday. Which I don't do. We, me and you are <coughs> there. Doing a bit of recon. Doing a bit of recon, checking out some stages. And then the following Wednesday, I wish I knew the dates off the top of my head. That's right, yeah. Is Dupana. Three days Dupana. Uh, but it's not three day. days, it's one day. Uh, and then we do Friday, which is E3 prize. Yeah. And uh, I've been fourth there before, so I'd love to be on the podium there. Yeah. And then we go Sunday, Gent Wevelgem, which I've never really done properly before. I've already done to the feed zone. Mm-hmm. And we've already reconned it this year, so that's also because it's been it's quite a technical final now. It's Just probably gravel on there too. Yeah. Yep. So Sunday's Gent Wevelgem. The following Wednesday is Dwarz of Landru. And then the following Sunday is Flanders. Flanders. Yep. And then a one week more after week, that. Paris Bay. So I do all of them. Um, and yeah, like I said, I would really love to be on the podium. Um, and it's not just like saying podium, you know, just be in the final. And uh, it's hard to sort of say, like, I want to win this one instead of this one. Just make sure you're in the final in in all of those or core group of those. Then you will have the ability to maybe do something there. What are you going to change from last year then to make that step to go from fourth to third or fourth to the win? Uh, Apart from the physical ability of you getting better each year, what have you changed in your mindset going into these races this year? It's more before it was a surprise to make the select group. Uh-huh. Um, you're like, oh, now I'm here because I've been racing in the finishing 50th, second group, third group, and now you make the selection, which might be 20, might be 10, might be 30, whatever. Um, and on the weekend, you made both days a selection. Yeah. So it's, it's not just happening by chance. It's happening consistently now. And now and the mentality needs to change of like it's not a surprise that you're in the final. You need to – so which I have felt like now – no, that's where you need to be and that's where you are now. It's making a decision once you're there of making how I'm going to get the best result. And I think we've got a good option now with uh, Trentin is that he's really quite quick. So for me, going up the road and going early, going early is kind of the best chance for me to get a result because mm. a sprint is not my strength. 
But having Trent Tin back as a safety is also saying if I do go up the road with someone, then you have that back in the in the peloton as a you know I don't I don't need to work because you you know and he doesn't need to work he can sit there and just let you go and play off the other guys and you guys got two double edged sword there yeah so that's the mentality of like okay don't be so surprised that you made the final actually now work out how you're going to get your best result in the final nice all right well everyone can watch out for Durbo we're going to get these questions up now. And here we go. All right. So they're in no specific order. But a few people have sent some questions in, and we're going to do our best to answer them in the preparation for the classics. And they're all classic-related questions. And Tonk184 is the first question off the ranks. Tonk. G'day, Tonk. (laughs) Do Do you do any specific preparation for the Cobble Classics? Root reconnaissance? Any personal modifications to the bike that you do? Given the chaos of the classics, can it be difficult to execute team plans? So there's three parts in that question. First part, do you do any specific preparation of the Cobble Classics? Uh, yeah, I'll do. I'll go first. You do the next one. Um, well, yeah, we, we're going up there. Yeah. This is something we did when we were teammates anyway. We travelled up to Belgium and the team does a recon also. A reconnaissance, and it's about checking out the course. Even though you've seen more or less every road up there anyway, it's about just getting your mind back in the game, seeing the roads again. Sometimes they do road works there, and you're like, oh, that roundabout's there, or that's not there this year. Mm -hmm. Or it could be literally one different road. So that's something, a big part of it. And it's also, for me anyway, the mental side of things, getting up there, getting your mind into it. Weather. Yeah, feeling the cobblestones. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, we we started doing that when you, you started saying how important it was. Hmm. And when I was, you know, Neopro a bit older, I was like, didn't quite understand until you went up there and did your first races and realised that you had no idea where you were and where you were going on. And all of a sudden you're out the back and you didn't even know how. So you said, well, you got to come up here and you got to, you got to learn. You got to, you know, well, I think one recon we did was with a, a road book. Hmm. And actually that's the big, the most learnt, recon I've ever done any gpx file on a garment i've never learned so much because you just follow the route but when we did it with a road map and a scooter that's uh now we know there's a roundabout at the bottom of the Volkenberg. you got to make it like <laughs> the roads you train on yeah you know? exactly and that's what it's like for the belgium guys um any personal modifications to your bike double bar tape and a little you know classics button they call it Oh yeah, to change the gears. Yeah, on the, the on the top on yeah. the top tube. Yeah, you. Um, I have double bar tape anyway. Mm-hmm. Tires, yeah. Look, obviously, oh, yeah. yeah. That's not a personal modification, but pressures. Do you run low, high? <clears throat> um, well, we mostly. I think there's a question about that, but we mostly oh. answer that now. I run on the opening weekend. I had five bar. And 5.5 bar in my tyres. So 5 bar in the front and 5.5 in the back on 28 millimetre tyres, mm-hmm. Vittoria tyres. Which is, yeah. what is that in pressure? I actually think it's 80. Top of my head, I don't actually know. I think it's about 80, what, 90 bar, 90 psi. What did you have? Uh, one more than that. So 6 and 6.5 and on a 28, no, 27. Pirelli. So five bars, seventy psi. Okay. 
and 5.5 is 80 PSI. And what did you have? I had six and six and a half. So you had 90 PSI. Yeah. Wasn't that many cobbles on the weekend. 95? That's hard as. I only ride that normally on the road. You lose a little bit over the race, you know. <laughs> okay. Um, and given you got a bigger ass. <laughs> given the chaos of the classics, well, actually, that what happens is the lighter you are, yeah. obviously, the less pressure you can run. Less pressure. Yeah. Given the given the chaos of the classics, can it be dis- difficult to execute team plans? Turbo? 100%. Yeah. Just to... It's a big win to say, okay, you pick one climb, for example. So let's say we're drinking a Quaramont. The bottom of the Quaramont, I want everyone in the front 10 wheels. That is like, if the team actually executes that, is Dream scenario. absolutely incredible. So when you see a team come around the corner, like, you know, quick step, and they are in a crucial point and they have five out of the eight guys or five out of seven guys or in the front at that point that's why they're such a fantastic team and that's why they do the results they do so everyone's actually trying to do the same but it's uh yeah to execute team plan you, everyone has an idea there's generally a point on all these races that everyone wants to be at the front and the guys that are there at the front takes a can take a lot of yeah, a little bit of luck but yeah. skill as well <laughs> 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 and physical ability yeah you know like sometimes like you you said to me on the weekend at a moment you you were out of position and you made a switch and you said to yourself that's it i'm getting myself to the front on the boundaries which is a climb and you know that's one thing saying that and having the 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 mindset i've got to do it but the second thing is too you've got to have the ability to go okay i'm going to ride around the whole peloton and get to the front so yeah that was a, there's a point yeah <laughs> Um, next question from Big Blue Bear 67. Do you eat anything different before, during, and after the cobbled races compared to stage races? Um, I would say not in terms of like not anything different um, in terms of stage races. Like you still eat your carbohydrates in terms of pasta, rice, etc. The amount maybe, mm. I would say maybe I eat more because... Weight, I don't think, is a major, major factor to some of the Flemish classics. And sometimes in stage races, we have to go up, you know, big climbs and weight can be quite detrimental. So some of the, not saying you just go and get fat, but I feel that you can kind of like... Make sure everything's full. Make sure everything's full, yeah, yeah. So in terms of like eating on the bike, off the bike, eating on the bike's a pretty big one because your brain's using a lot of glucose. Mm with stress and because it's such a highly stressful environment i reckon you burn through a lot more up there than you normally would maybe at other races so you have to be on to like getting in as many carbohydrates as you can per hour Mm. um during those races to handle the amount of stress in your brain (coughs) and the temperature too you know it's it's true it's a cold race too so yeah um the next question from sam at Singular Cycles. How do you know if it's going to be... Oh, you know it's going to be cold and wet, windy, horrific roads and hard racing. How do you G yourself up race after race, year after year for such brutally tough races? Does it just get mentally demanding? <laughs> you can answer that, this one. Well, right? yeah, you, you really... You hit the nail on the head there because... 
You've done it longer than me, so you've obviously worked it out. <laughs> I haven't, though. <laughs> because, like, on the weekend, even the weekend, you just... You're fighting not only the Peloton, but you're fighting your own mind. Um, and it's this funny thing with the classics. You know, we always talk about, oh, I'm a classics rider and I love the classics, yet... I don't know how much of it I was really, really loving at the moment on the weekend. Like, it's just like... Just like we've all got short memories, I think. Yeah, I think so. It's just hard yakka. And I think you like the fight and the challenge. Mm. The mental challenge of just not giving up, you know. Every time there's so, there's amples of opportunities to give up out there, you know. Caught out of position, you get a puncher, or it's just hard going and you're just like, I'm done with this. But you're continually fighting yourself and egging yourself on and giving yourself confidence and... I think it's just that that slight feeling of results or it's a bit of an adrenaline thing as yeah, well. It is, I think yeah. you know we we crave that like and the difference between the, the adrenaline feeling of fear and excitement is pretty similar. So when you like get scared you get goosebumps when you get excited you also get goosebumps. So mm-hmm. I think it's like a constant you know you're going between fear and excitement not fear but like you know, you that nervous energy that you're feeling in the bunch and the excitement of achieving what you want to achieve up there. So, yeah, I think it's like you are a bit of an adrenaline junkie, I think, mm. and that's why we keep going back because when it, when it comes off, it's beautiful mm. and that might not be winning. That might be making a sector or finishing in the top 10 or doing a job for your teammate, but when it comes off, it fucking feels so good. Mm. But, you know... That's, I think that's why we... Oh, I don't know. That's personally why we... Get I think so, too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think so, too. Um, Jeff Can, how does team strat- strategy differ from a one-day cobbled race to a stage race? <coughs> mm. Maybe leader, like stage race, you've got this one guy that you're really looking after, which happens in the classics, too, but generally... I don't know. It's pretty difficult, I reckon, to grab your leader and make him follow you all the way through mm. the bunch. You have to have a leader who can kind of get to the front himself as well and you'll meet him there. It's, you know what I mean? It's, it's difficult, that, isn't it? Like maybe in a stage race where you can just go, come on, mate, get on the wheel, take him to the front. Get him to that climb. Yeah. I think it's just, yeah, the stress of everything. Like at the end of the day, the team sort of split up into, you know, at least 50% of the guys can win the race. I would feel in each team. Yeah. And then you've got another 50% of the guys that are really there for working. Whereas I feel like in a stage race. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Down to, it's really down to that one person you've really got backing. And in the, in the classic, stuff can really hit the fan, you know, and you're just like, well, plans out the window. It's up to Mitch now to win. He's in the front group. <laughs> <laughs> You know, yeah, that's, that's true. But you've probably only got 15 guys, hey, yeah. in a stage race that maybe might be able to win the overall, yeah. where in the classic, like you said, you've got probably like 50 guys. Yeah. That could potentially have a that magical day. And it, and it does get narrowed down to, you know, 20 guys are always up there, but there's a loose 50 that are sort of in contention. Yeah. True. Uh, Chris McKnight. You read this one out, do Yeah. You? Okay. Objectively, regardless of the racing conditions, which are harder to race, the Bergs of Flanders or the cobble sections of Roubaix? The Bergs of Flanders for me. Um, 
Really? Yeah. They're pretty hard, the, the cobbles are on Rune <laughs> Yeah, but it's just... They're not easier. They're sure. not... I'm no. not saying... We're not easier, but yeah. I feel a hell of a lot more confident hitting a Roubaix sector than coming into the bottom of the Partersburg, which is a steep cobble climb in Flanders. I feel like I can, in Roubaix, there's not many people that could ride you physically off the wheel. Personally, I don't feel. Whereas in Flanders, you can get ridden off the wheel on those climbs, no problems. True. I, I, I would say that Roubaix's for me harder because of everything's going so much quicker mm. like you're hitting those sectors like really quick and everything's happening really quick but I mean everything seems to just slow down in Flanders because you're going uphill yeah <laughs> you've got to be able to go uphill yeah yeah true but yeah it's yeah I the cobbles look the cobbles are much different yeah completely yeah. the cobbles in Roubaix are bigger they're a little bit more aggressive in terms of you can feel them more. Um, there's a couple of flat sectors in the Flanagan region that sort of come close to Roubaix sectors, but they're still much faster. Yeah, they're not as hard, no. no. no, no. Um, the cobbles on the climbs, they're just smoother, I think. Don't you think? Yeah, like you said, they're smaller, they're closer together. Yeah. Um, there's a few, like I said, sectors that yeah. come close, but... Roubaix are just uh, they're massive they're just pretty much they're not cobbles really they're just rocks yeah they are rocks <laughs> uh, Beardo has sent a question in what's the hardest section of the cobbles to tackle during any of the one day races this is a good one Arenberg that's got to be the hardest yeah it does it's yeah. got to be the most okay what's the hardest sector in Flanders then uh, or for you the sector that you think every time <sighs> shit Probably where it comes in the race, I'd have to say the Koppenberg. Koppenberg, yeah. Because you only Good do call. it in Flanders and you only do it after a fair few amount yeah, yeah. and it's really where the race really goes there and it's sometimes you either walk or you ride up it. So, <coughs> like I'd say Quamrant's probably like the hardest section of cobbles feeling mm-hmm. but it's quite wide you can move and you can get a draft at the yeah, top yeah yeah so i'd say koppenberg for the flandering and Arenberg for you yeah i'd say Arenberg for sure in roubaix even though they say cuffle de labra is still a five star Arenberg's much harder just it yeah the gradual uphill afterwards you you come in at so much speed I think the speed's a big thing, isn't it? And then you, yeah. once the speed sort of wipes off, it's still quite a long way to go there. And the thing with Roubaix sectors too, apart to the Flandern sectors, is the Roubaix sectors are much longer. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, in distance. I guess in Flanders, like the hardest flat sector, I would say, is the hollow egg. You know, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a pretty, it's nothing really happens there ever, but it's a pretty rough sector. And the hardest, yeah, I'd have to say the Koppenberg. That's just... It's so steep. Yeah, it's steep. It's the cobbles narrow. aren't that good. Yeah. There's no option. There's no way out. No option out. Stricko, 57. On average, how many beers would you enjoy after a classic? <laughs> On average. <laughs> <laughs> Depending uh, what's happened in the classic. <laughs> I guess, what are we talking? Are we talking after Rubai when the classic's finished? 
Oh. <laughs> he says this after a classic. Uh, I would say after a classic, we, we'd enjoy, I would say one on average. Yeah. 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 Because you still got one probably two days later, another classic to come. Yeah. It, it becomes a good, you know, you got to choose the right beer. Um, what will you choose? Uh, beer. Uh, choose a bit of Orval sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Good choice. Yeah. Orval. You? Orval. Orval, yep. yeah. Um, who we got here? Dan Jordan Brown. How, how badly do the cobbles affect your hands? Oh, your nads, sorry. <laughs> your different. nads. And can that be a deci- deciding factor in a race? Are there extra precautions you take? Tape, for example. Do you tape your old, your, <laughs> your nuts? Potatoes? No. No, I've never taped them. <laughs> no, I mean, saddle sores can make you pull out of the race yeah. or not pull out, but be on some excruciating pain. But the balls have never really been a thing for me. No, you've ever hit the balls hard. I have or- to admit, I don't get much saddle... <laughs> funny topic. I don't get a lot of saddle sores during the classics because I think it's race on, race off, and you get a chance to recover. Saddle sores are more of a, a problem during a stage race. Yeah, yeah. Um... I think it the cobbles probably the cobbles only affect me in Roubaix and they only really affect I've had a few times blisters on my hands but that's been purely because of the wrong gloves it's weird that some gloves that you use from different clothing companies um, tend to blister you more than others you know like they might blister me but they don't blister you and then another company vice versa Mm. but after Roubaix, you f- my fingers especially are very, very sore. Yeah. And my arms. Um, but it's... I, I do remember being a hell of a lot worse when I first started riding the cobbles compared to now. I don't know. Do you deal with it better or are you better riding the cobbles? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm a lot better now than I used to be too. I think it's just a... I was wrecked the first few times I finished Roubaix. it's not like you Roubaix. do Roubaix that many times in a year that you get adapted to it. You only do it once a year. So it's not like, why are you better? I think maybe you might be better off how you hold the bars. I think the first time maybe you hit the cobbles, you're really tense. Yeah. You know? Um, a lot of guys don't wear gloves because of wearing the gloves. Is, it's the friction that causes yeah. the blisters. Do you wear gloves? I do because I've had a couple of crashes in Roubaix and rip my hands up do you so, get blisters yeah I'd prefer to get blisters than rip my hand up but the blisters actually kill in the race yeah they are sore yeah. they can be almost a deciding factor mm. yeah because they they blister as you know and then once the blister pops in the race <laughs> then the skin rips off which rips off like about 20 layers of skin and then you're just down to raw skin on your hands on the cobbles yeah I, I don't know it's it's uh I remember even like riding no hands out. for a few parts of sectors <laughs> oh, <shit>. I did <laughs> I just I couldn't hold the bars oh man yeah. I was pissed but if you're sitting on your uh if you're sitting on your nuts I think you're doing it wrong so it's probably- <laughs> that's true good point <laughs> how do you go about developing your Flanders road knowledge which everyone says is so important without living in Flanders we've sort of answered this already is it, is it enough just to race a few years of full classics program and have a good Belgium DS on race days 
to do this or is there much more work required to match the big names? Look, I think we answered this more or less, um, but yeah, I don't think it's enough just to race because it takes too long, too long, too many years. Yep. And yes, it could be enough, but it would take you five years of racing up there and you'd waste five years. I think, I think. yeah. I think you're right, but I think it's also a lot easier now because of um, like the GPS files that we get on our bikes. Yeah. You know, and then I think like now the DSs can put in crucial points of where to be and what to do. And that never happened before. So we actually had to move up there for that month like we did and learn the roads like a farmer in. But now, like I noticed uh, the guys, all the information, if you have a good DS, he puts it on the Garmin file and you've got like 500 metres to be in the right section, you mm. know, so it's... Yeah, that's true, but... Still easier said than done, but yeah, that does make a... It does make a difference. And mm. I think, look, on the drop factor, it is handy to know where you are so you can ride back home. <laughs> well, in KBK the other day when we, <laughs> me and Chris, your Jensen was riding in, we were maybe two minutes. Um, we'd been working, so we pulled off. And uh, in the last lap, we pulled off. And we must have been two, three minutes behind the front of the peloton and... All of a sudden, it's open traffic. On the way home, I was... So it should be. I was stopping for lights. You should have been out of the race. <laughs> if you're that far behind... <laughs> Two minutes. Right. Um, the crowd at the Classics are always so respectful. Keep their distance on the climbs and don't come too close compared to the Tour of Spain, the Tour de France and the Tour of Italy. What difference does it make for you? How much do you notice it? And which do you prefer? They do keep their distance? I think so. Look, I'd say they're pretty respectful. Like, think about the weekend. No one really got on the road, True. did they? No, no, no. Educated fans, I'd say. Yeah. They've seen the Tour of Flanders or anything forever. I think that's the best way to put it. I think, look, having never ridden the tour before, but viewing it from the TV... I get the feeling it's a bit of a spectacle, and especially I know this from being back in Australia, everyone knows the Tour de France, yep. people who aren't even into cycling. So a lot of people want to come and watch the Tour de France, but don't know much about cycling, so they don't know if they're in the way or not. And that can be the case a little bit with the Tour of Italy and the Tour of Spain, but I think in Belgium, 95% of the people watching are educated fans, yeah. and they know how to support does that make some sense? Well, they're not going to stand on the bottom of the descent into the Quaramont or something because they know that's going to be yeah. probably a crash and they'll probably get hit. It's like, for example, spectating an AFL football game and you go stand on the pitch. Yeah. You don't do that. You stay. You sit in your seat. Well, the police would get you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know. Yeah. Um, I'd love to know about the lead up to an event like a classic. This is from... Sorry, I didn't say who those last questions were from. That was from McBiken, the last question. I'd love to know about... This is from Rod Ride Silver. Sorry, they're funny names. (laughs) (laughs) I'd love to know about the classics, the lead up to an event like a classic. How long before... Do you and the team arrive and recon rides and how mellow or hard are they? The food, the beer, the coffee, the morning of. A few questions there. Derbs? Well, 
like we've probably gone into before, we arrive pretty early, probably earlier more than most, just to get the feeling of being. So up yeah, there. the two the two times we go up early is before opening weekend. I think more or less every team go up Wednesday. half a week before yep. to just do a bit of recon, test equipment. But then before the actual classics, a lot of teams don't necessarily do another recon, but they do stay up there for the two weeks of from starting of the classics of. All those races yeah, Luke went yeah. through. From San Remo, really, after San Remo, until to, Roubaix. And in between those races, there can be a bit of reconning if you're not racing. But what Luke and I have done over the last few years is we've gone up and stayed there ourselves um, and done our own little recons as well, and that's what we're going to do this year too. Um, but in terms of how hard or how easy do we go on the recons, that depends on really individuals, but... When you go with a team, they tend to be harder yeah, than you there's want no, them to be. There's no easy recon. I don't care who, whatever anyone says. It's uh, it's always a little bit of a pissing contest. I try to ride <laughs> the last recon easy, and yeah, it wasn't. You like they're not easy climbs to get over anyway. Yeah, it's sort of like go recon out the Wes and take it easy. You know, it's it's one of those situations. The slower you go, the harder it is yeah. to a degree. Pretty much. Yeah. You know, you feel every stone. And we sort of covered the food. Like, one big thing I think for the classics is making sure you're really fueled for that next day. Because one of the, this is the way I look at it is you don't know if you're going to get a chance to really fuel up well in the race. One, because of the cold, the wet, the hecticness of the race. So you want to have in the back of your mind, I'm completely fueled up before the race starts. And if I can't get all my food, it's not the end of the world because I've got enough in there from the night before. Yeah. The problem where that lays is what you said before, if you're not finishing a race, if you're crashing out of a race two or three times in a row and you filled up like a... Like, yeah, a big boy. <laughs> like a big boy, you end up becoming a big boy. So that is a... It is a double-edged sword there. Early days, you'd rock up to Roubaix and you'd be sometimes four four kilos more or five kilos more than when you started back in after San Remo because you just one you'd crash out or you didn't finish the races and you're sitting there it's cold and you know head of that that uh bread spread that's called uh speculose you know you're just eating that because you need comfort food because you're <laughs> well the worst the worst thing is and this is something we we're discussing is that it's the power of eating in the in the in the team environment where you, if you ate at home on your own, you would know exactly how much you sort of need and you'd probably fuel up a bit more. But you end up watching everyone else and you're going, you know what? Mm. He's having an extra bowl of pasta. Maybe I need an extra bowl. So you go and get an extra bowl. Yeah. And you're like, oh, actually, I haven't tried that um, rice. Wouldn't mind trying that <laughs> bit of rice. Oh, he's having a little bit of extra peanut butter there. Peanut butter obviously works. He's doing good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so next thing you know, you're already full on your normal regime, but yeah. now you're extra full. So yeah. it is a it is a dangerous game being up there. Yeah. Um, so we've got Harry here. He's sent one in. Favourite Belgian beer. And do you like the name Turbo Durbo? I think we've already covered this in previous podcasts. Previous yeah. Well, we just said probably Belgian beer. Favourite Belgian beer? Yeah, well, I'll probably say Orval. Mine yeah. is Orval, but I'll tell you what, coming close second is a Chimay, which is now what we're drinking. <laughs> we've moved on. <laughs> yep. 
Um, I don't mind it. I like this one. Uh, West Muller double is also quite good. Oh, yeah. Um, what about the infamous West Fleeteran? I've only ever had one. Uh, I believe we drank that together. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard to say. Like, yeah, when you're like drinking it all the time. No, isn't where St. Bernardus is similar? Yeah. Know, but I've had one of them. But yeah, also Le Chouffes is pretty good. So. Yeah. And do you like the name Turbo Dervo? I don't really refer to myself as it, so uh, if it comes up in a conversation, <laughs> it doesn't really. I don't get people to refer to me at home as that, anyway. <laughs> well, you can be a bit of a turbo out yeah, there, so I don't uh, think it's... True, yeah. <laughs> well, here's our last question. Do you want to read it? All right, this one's from... Sime Florentine, best haircut for Max Luft. <laughs> I would say an afro. So the Luft is how to wear a small cap, cycling cap, <laughs> and you've got to have the hat sitting correct on the head. Even like just more like it's like rabbi ish, just the top of just sitting on. Top. You need you need to have a good amount of hair under there. Who's got a fro? Injurain used to have a pretty good one. Yeah, but not fro. Like. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing well to get a helmet on a fro, aren't you? You are. Yeah. Big hair. Oss has got big hair. Oss does. Oss does his big hair, so maybe he could do it well. Um, can't really think of anyone else who's got massive hair. Well, that's probably enough today. We've sort of given everyone a bit of a, hopefully a bit of an insight to what we're doing leading up to the classics, apart from drinking a couple of beers and recording a podcast. Um, it's a nice little week in between here. You've got the opening weekend, you've got a bit of a shock to the system, a little bit of a scare. We've got a last week sort of training before we head off to our stage races. You're off to Strata Bianchi tomorrow. Yep. I'm off to Paris the day after and enjoy watching you in Strata last year. You were really good there. So I'm hoping that you'll be up there again, make some entertaining viewing on TV. And then we're both going to just sort of get into it and then catch up a week later when we head up to Belgium and do our recon. I'm looking forward to it, my, my man. Yeah, me too. Looking forward to a little time in Ghent with you again. And uh, thanks for having me on the podcast. And uh, yeah, let's make this classic a good one. Cheers. Cheers. See you, Derbs. Cheers, mate. Well, I hope you enjoyed that one. I want to say thanks again to my producer, Lara, and everyone for sending in those questions. Keep listening and sending in feedback to us at Life in the Peloton Instagram and Twitter accounts. And look out for the next podcast coming up in two weeks' time. Until then, see you later. Cheers. Cheers.